Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Thank you, and welcome to another edition of The Coaching Show. My name is Christopher McCollum, Master Certified Coach, because you have to say it that way once you get that. Uh, I'm here today with, an, uh, not in studio, but on Zoom, from safe from his um, uh, underground lair <laughs> to join us today, <laughs> is an extraordinary coach and author and speaker and a former HR executive trained as a therapist. He's uh, finished a 29-year career as a human resources executive and then became a coach 18 years ago, another master certified coach, joining us from his undisclosed location somewhere in the North Carolina coast is Larry Williamson. Hi, Larry. Good morning, Christopher. How are you this morning? Well, I'm doing all right. Now, here's what's about to happen, Larry, is that I'm about to copy your accent unknowingly and start talking like uh, I'll, I'll be speaking in your accent. So let's try and avoid that at all costs. I should hold up the book, even though um, we're recording this audio only, but I do have my copy, which you were kind enough to provide me and, and uh, write a little dedication about some of the money I owed you. This is Successful Relationships. <laughs> Caring simple behaviors that bring results. Now, what is a, first of all, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you and I appreciate the opportunity, Christopher. Now, first of all, are you and yours well? How are you writing this out? Are you going to uh, pool parties and bars and church services or how are you dealing with the coronavirus? Well, we, Carolyn and I are very blessed. The whole family is blessed and um, We've been down at the coast. What we decided to do when all of this hit was just to come down here. And uh, we spent our time just doing some fishing and uh, just being so blessed to have some special one-on-one -on -one time with Carolyn. That, that could go on forever and I'd be happy. You are a happily married man. Is this your first uh, marriage? How many, the 20th, 7th? No, well, we've been together 20 years. Uh, I, it is not uh, my first marriage. Um, I, it's, it's the one that, uh, that God brought Carolyn into my life about 20 years ago, and we've been so blessed. I tell people in 20 years, we've never so much as raised voice with one another. So it is... Uh, wow. It, it is a it is a wonderful experience. I I could I only wish that for everybody that gets involved in relationships. Now, Larry, this so you've seen both sides. You've had unsuccessful relationships and now a successful relationship, which qualifies you to write this book, successful relationships. Um, uh, if you ever, by the way, if you ever want to see how the other ninety percent live, just come on over to our house. <laughs> you'll hear some you'll hear some raised voices, and and it's not. Hello and welcome. Hey, um, <laughs> let's talk about your book for a moment. So Successful Relationships, this is your first book? Yes, yes, that is the first one. I had um, worked with individuals. I was in the people side of the business long before, uh, well, ever since the very start, from as soon as I got out of graduate school. And I would take a lot of notes every time I would speak to someone. And a few years ago, Carolyn and I sat down and we had a whole stack of notes, typed out notes. 
and we begin to separate them, divided them into topics such as relationships, parenting, and so forth. And uh, I decided to put a lot of it down in a book. It was just a very simple approach. I designed it to where it could be read within three hours. Um, when I was in school, everything had so many footnotes and so forth, and I decided it would just be a very straightforward, easy to understand book. Simple behaviors that if you do this and focus on yourself, increases the likelihood of success. Well, it's a great book, an easy read, and very useful. Uh, I wonder if you could wave your magic wand, and I'm going to ask you this in two different areas. If you okay. could wave your magic wand and give everybody in a romantic relationship, whether we're talking about young people or old people, straight people or gay people, polyamorous communities of like-minded individuals, or um, people who want a monogamous relationship, what do you think is the number one thing you would have us focus on or keep in mind about our romantic relationship? Our own behavior. Mm. Too, too many times when I would speak with someone, they would try to justify their own behaviors based on something someone else says or does. Um, I had a conversation with a gentleman one time. He wanted me to work with him on his marriage. and He was married, had two kids. And after speaking with him, I told him that I would work with him, but there would be one condition that must always be maintained. And that was that he and I would never have a conversation about his wife. And he did not understand that. I explained that we were only going to talk about the actions, words, and behaviors that were under his control, and those were his. And it probably took him about three months before he finally decided that he told me one day, he says, I know exactly why you did what you did now. The second book that I'm writing is Life by Steps, Looking Within to Grow Beyond, and it's based a lot on that same principle. I used to tell people in teaching classes that how would they like to find a place where it would clearly explain the origin of many of their problems, and they were all happy to hear the answer, and I would send them to the bathroom. When I asked them why the bathroom, somebody would always say, because there's a mirror in there. And that's exactly right. If we worry about ourselves, it gives us enough to focus on. I want credit for not making any of the jokes about trouble in the bathroom. But um, <laughs> let me go a different direction now. With your experience, as we said, 29 years as an HR executive, uh, at work now looking at work or professional relationships what's the number one again if you had a magic wand and you could give us all something what's the number one thing you'd give us in our professional relationships to make those work better or to minimize issues in those i would say relationships are relationships christopher and i think number one thing in any relationship is to focus on the self uh, again if if we can refrain from looking out others and reacting rather than we either react or respond to something that someone else does or says. And too many times we spend what, about 80, 85% of our time in a reactionary mode. And I think if we stop and exercise a little bit of patience and choose a response, 
and a response that's going to build relationships, not further enhance the tearing down of one, then I think we're, we're so much better off for that. Well, to be fair, you've never met Karen in marketing and she is just a bear. She is impossible to work with. Okay. Well, I got to focus on me because Karen is, Karen is clearly the problem. Yes, I'm going to say yes, Christopher, because regardless of how someone behaves, there's been many times where I would uh, work with someone or have the opportunity to spend time with one that was a very negative person, a very bitter person, and very, um, they did a lot of attacking versus discussing. And I would find that if my responses were chosen responses, calculated responses, they were ignoring the attack and giving an answer or trying to lead the conversation the way I wanted it to go, eventually um, you're gonna see most people turn around with that. They're gonna, they're going to be reacting to your behavior. And once they see that whatever they do, they're not going to upset you. I, I have seen they have a tendency to reduce that behavior, if you would. So it's been a, I, I still think that if we focus on ourselves, it's one of the best things we'll do to create relationships. Well, okay, I'll try it with Karen in marketing. <laughs> oh my. No, I like it. I, I can hear the echoes of another familiar phrase, which is when they go low, we go high. You, you're, I'm hearing you say, you know, stick to your values and, and take the high ground and be the person you want to be, regardless of how somebody else is acting, behaving, or speaking. And that makes um, sense to me. I, I heard you give a shout out to God earlier, and I uh, know you to be a man of faith. How, how has your faith or belief impacted your work? And um, what are you noticing with your clients from a position of faith or spirituality? Um, well, and I thank you for bringing it up because yes, I, I do have a strong faith and the name of my company, Anchored Values, is really placed in there. I think that an individual needs to be aware, cognizant of, of what their anchors are. What are they anchored in? Mine is, in, in my faith, it is in my relationships that uh, that we grow together with between Carolyn and I, my children, and so forth. And when we look at um, going forward with that, know know what your belief is. My faith, yes, certainly guides guides me. Uh, Carolyn and I try to uh, read scriptures. We start our first our day with scripture reading first thing in the morning, and it settles me down. It helps to give me patience. It helps me to uh, recognize, if you would, uh, when I begin to stray and I begin to be impatient or I, I speak too quickly at times or I spend too much time talking about myself and not the other person. All of those things uh, are part and parcel of, of demonstrating my own belief and the behaviors that, that I truly want to exhibit. Well, Does that sounds, answer your question? It sounds like a great, you know, I love people that live their, their work. 
right? And you can't, and to have a company called Anchored Values is one thing, but to live that way is a whole other. So I love that you're actually anchoring your day with a visit to your values and your beliefs. Um, what I, I, the second part of my question is, what are you noticing? I, I guess I'm asking a couple different things. One is, what are you noticing about your clients and their belief systems? Are we getting more or less religious as a people? Are we getting more or less spiritual as a people? And um, secondly, what's the value for you of being anchored this way, not only in dealing with your life, but also dealing with clients and business? Is that too big a question or do you? Well, uh, if I miss over a part, rephrase the question for me. Um, as far as working with clients, um, I do think that people have a tendency to learn that over a period of time through numerous discussions that I try to remain true to those values. And I demonstrate those in our conversations. And once that occurs, I begin to see people mirror that. And they begin, they get more comfortable with um, speaking. I, I do not approach my faith in discussions, of course, as a coach. Um, I allow, I, I talk with individuals. I've had clients from Mumbai and everywhere else, and they're not all Christians. But what I find out is that after having numerous discussions, they want to find out more about that. And it, I, I allow them to open that door. And that has worked really well. Um, another part of the question was what? Um, uh, so uh, do you think that you, sorry, the other part of the first part of the question, I can hear it now, is um, are, are you finding people moving more towards, especially during this global pandemic, more towards items of religious uh, or spirituality or faith, or do you find people are moving away from it, or do you see any movement? I'm always one to hesitate to generalize. I've, I've always said, and I and I wish I knew who to attribute this to, but I don't remember. And it said that uh, crisis does not build character; it reveals it. So I think that the people who have that as one of the basis of their characters and their belief systems, then I see them get stronger. Other individuals who are, are negative individuals who lack faith, in, in my opinion, um, I seem to see that get stronger as well. The negativity of individuals is something that is always, uh, that concerns me. Um, when this, when this began to occur with COVID-19 over the past couple of months and so forth, I saw people progressively get more negative. And I've, I've had a number of conversations about that. So it, it really depends to me. This, this seems to be my experience. I'm concerned about our society as a whole that we begin to move away from a lot of the teachings and we normalize things that, uh, maybe we shouldn't but that's that's not for me to spend my time on i heard that hey let's go in a different direction i assume with a company named anchored values where you can find them on the web at anchored a n c h 
O-R-E-D, values, V-A-L-U-E-S.com. Anchored values, you've got some exercises that people can discover or reveal to themselves or create their own value system. Is that true? Absolutely. One of the first things that I ever do um, with clients is do a values exercise. I help them determine what their true values are. Uh, values, life statements, mission statements, I think those things are very incredible. I had a young gentleman I worked with one time that was having a lot of uh, challenges in his interactions with other people. And I took his values and his statements that he had done early on, and I actually just formed a little paragraph with him and talked about him. And I said, how does that sound to you? He says, oh, that sounds great. And I said, well, it should, they're yours. <laughs> this was a private one-on-one -on -one conversation. And I said, why did you get away from this? And he had allowed the influence, outside influences, to take him in a different direction. And he came back, and it made a huge difference. The, the term anchored values, I've always had this anchor. We'd carried around from various houses and so forth, big thing. And I, I, know, I knew that I wanted uh, values to be part of my uh, company name and one day in church, Carol and I were sitting there listening the minister mentioned about being anchored in something. And she and I looked at each other immediately and went, that's it, anchored values. Ah. So the anchor that you actually see is a digitalized picture of the anchor that has set out in front of my houses for the last 40 some years. That was not your question, but still just made me think of it. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful story. Thanks. Um, okay, so it's a time of negativity. Uh, contrary to your values, you're experiencing more negativity in the world. For you, you're anchoring yourself in your faith every morning and in your and doing some reading. Any other behaviors or actions that you recommend to either your clients or people in general about how to sort of make it through in the best possible way, such a dark time as we're experiencing now. People are out of work, people are ill, people are passing. Um, what are you bringing to people or what would you love to bring to people to keep the, the faith, if you will? Well, you know, I think that one of the things that help people during these times is to understand that everybody's going through something and to open up and discuss it. I see more challenges with individuals. One of the, um, and, and I think back to when I was in corporate, one of my positions was as a crisis coordinator for an organization that went between 12 and 14,000 people. And the individuals, the leaders during the crisis, if we lost someone due to a death or something of that nature, they were so busy caring for other people focusing on other people, I saw the true impact of the situation hit them after it was over. But all of a sudden, they begin to focus or to feel and experience the things they had been through. They'd been so focused on caring for the other people. That's a concern of mine right now. And I would love to see people open up and talk about things now. Don't wait until later when it hits you. Um, I'm a big believer in the prevention of certain things. I was asked one time to teach a class on conflict resolution. 
And I said, well, why resolution? If I'm looking at resolution, I'm looking at trying to fix something that has already occurred. Why not let's talk about conflict prevention? And so I believe in the prevention of different things. And if we were to exercise ourselves and open up and converse with people about this, talk to people, I don't care whether it's family, I don't care if it's coach or, or whoever, but the more we talk about it, the better prepared we are for it going forward. Personal that. No, I appreciate that on a couple of levels. One is I've noticed that my kids who are 10 and 12, so they're not particularly adept at dealing with the pandemic any more or uh, than the rest of us, had been, one, one of them especially had been sort of seeming more sad or depressed or morose or withdrawn recently. So I took her for a walk and uh, on the beach here in San Diego and, and we got about two sentences in and she just started crying and sobbing and sort of raging and sobbing and sadness and anger. Mm -hmm all of it you know and we just kept walking down the beach and i noticed of course as a dad of a, of a young lady or girl i'm uh very my instinct was to try and make it better for her but i thought to myself you know she probably needs this yeah. to your point she needed to get all that fear anger resentment why is this happening you know uh what's the future out and you know, she did not like it. She said at the end, Dad, I hate coming on these walks with you because I, you know, always am a blubbery mess. But um, I think that we all need that, right? We need to give ourselves a little space and room for our emotions because none of us planned this. And, you know, a short, what, eight weeks ago, maybe 10, we were yeah. living a very different life. Um, so thanks for that sort of. Well, if I may, I want to respond to that. And number one, I applaud you. Um, I think that too many times parents will try to fix, parents will try to be strong. And if we model that vulnerability, then they're more likely to be vulnerable themselves and open up things. When, when my children were little, one time I found myself being a little more um, shorter in my behavior, if you would, than I wanted to be. And at that time, I mean, my daughter was maybe five and my son was nine and we sat down at the top of the steps and I told him, I said, um, and, and I think this was part of the book where I said, you know, I, I, I realized that I'm being a little shorter than I would like to be with you. And what I would do is ask for your help. Whenever you see me coming across in that manner, I want you to reach up, get my attention and ask me, Daddy, are you behaving in a way you're trying to set an example for me to follow? And my daughter was the first one to ever do that. I was short and she looked at me, tapped on my leg and had this biggest grin because she knew she had me. And I think that by asking for help is a great way to open up those discussions. And I think parents, if they'll even ask for their children, Tell them, share some of the things that you're worried about and so forth. You're demonstrating a good way to do that, and they're going to model whatever their parent does. So, again, uh, congratulations. That was a great thing you did on walking on the beach with your daughter. Well, you're very kind, but I think I think we all could go for a nice walk these days and 
feel our feelings. And I appreciate especially the reminder that as first responders, you know, a lot of our a lot of our clients are in leadership positions or, you know, are sort of out on the front edge. And you're exactly right. They'll they'll be amazing in a crisis. They'll be a great leader. And then, you know, a little while later will come that wave of upset and and feelings. And that can be devastating if we're not prepared for it. Right. Or at least. Absolutely. Right. Well, it's been great talking to you. I want to remind people the book is Successful Relationships. It's a quick read. It's a good read. The author is Larry Williamson. And you can find out more about Larry and his coaching and other services by going to his website, anchored, A-N-C-H-O-R-E-D, values, V-A-L-U-E-S.com. And Larry, you're going to hang out and be our co-host for the rest of today's uh, episode, yes? Yes, I'm looking forward to it, Christopher. Thank you. Joining us from your undisclosed location. Is it on the North Carolina coast or are you on some? Yes, North Carolina coast. Yes. All right. We'll, we'll send out search parties to find you. Thanks, Larry. <laughs> Larry, let's Thank welcome. Thank you, Christopher. It's my pleasure and a privilege. Uh, Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. Uh, let's welcome our next guest uh, who's joining us not from North Carolina, um, but I... I'm going to be challenged in all kinds of ways today with my accent and not adopting other people's accents. Um, <laughs> our next guest, an extraordinary life story, an amazing uh, arc of a story. At the age of 23, a full-blown drug addict. Since then, a CEO, a TEDx Nashville YouTube star, and a Fortune, I'm going to say, are you a Fortune 500 CEO? No, Inc. 500 CEO. Inc. 500. I knew it was in there somewhere in my brain. I thank you very much for joining us. Michael Brody Waite. Am I saying that correctly, sir? Uh, yes. You, regardless of accents, you did that perfectly. <laughs> and you, I, you are surprised at me to not have an accent. Look around outside. Where do you find yourself today? Uh, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm a Californian, so uh, I do say y'all, and I also say dude, so I'm kind of a hybrid. <laughs> Well, that's great. My name is Christopher McAuliffe, and that is Larry Williamson. We're delighted to have you with us today. 
Um, Thank you. Now, uh, sometimes we're all, uh, uh, we're unfortunate in the way we name things in terms of the timing. For example, you know, Corona beer had a little problem with this uh, pandemic, right? And my yeah. first, my first child, COVID, that was an unfortunate naming. <laughs> you are, you are going around the world talking about something that until 10 weeks ago was a perfect, brilliant title, which is living, tell us. Great leaders live like drug addicts. Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking about living mask free. I'm so well, sorry. That, so that is that is the goal. So you are correct in the sense that it's extremely awkward to be carrying that message. Um, but exactly. luckily, that's the message in the book and not the title of the book. If it was the title of the book, I think I'd be roasted and there'd be people <laughs> in my house trying to kill me. And apparently at quite a party in the backyard. But yeah. uh, <laughs> tell us more about your message, sir. And thanks for allowing that wacky introduction. Oh, no, that's great. So, um, so let's start with the title of the book, because I think it kind of frames the my, my message. So um, the title is called Great Leaders of Like Drug Addicts. And I usually get a lot of people that go, what the heck do you mean? And it's one of the reasons is it's a double entendre. And so when I look at the great leaders, quote unquote, in our past, I see people that are acting just like addicts in active addiction fixing and managing controlling perception to try to get what they want by any means necessary. And when I think about the great leaders in our future, I think they'll lead in a fundamentally different way. And I think that the, that way will be with true rigorous authenticity. And they're the only segment of society that has been trained systematically on how to be truly rigorously authentic are recovering addicts because in order to be a drug addict, you have to be an expert at wearing a mask. And in order to be in recovery, you have to be an expert at taking it off. And to be clear, we've been wearing figurative masks for centuries and we will wear figurative masks for centuries going forward. But I have uh, four N95 masks that I wear when I go to the grocery store. So I am talking about the figurative mask that we wear when we are hiding our true selves. And I think that's the message we get as leaders. You can't show your weaknesses, your fears, your insecurities, your mistakes, or that you don't know. And I don't think that that's true anymore. Oh, Larry, Michael, I'm, I'm wondering if it was, if it was really ever true and we're just now beginning to recognize it. Um, we all have this persona that we want to put forth to people. And I, and I totally agree with you. I, I think you were right on target with the authenticity, the sincerity of being. And I think that people seem to appreciate that. Would, would you agree with that? Uh, I do. I think, I also think that things have ch changed. So we used to be in a manufacturing economy where in terms of leadership, uh, decision-making was centralized and connection with human beings was indirect through, you know, building a widget, a widget in a factory and then it being on a shelf. We're in a services economy where connections with humans are the premium. We want humans to think for themselves and have great relationships. And we're in a world that's not connected um, very well. We were connected through technology. And so I think that our appetite for authenticity is only growing. And I think the problem is, is that we are doing with leaders the same thing that anyone is doing if they have a drug addict in their life. We keep telling leaders to stop. Stop wearing the mask. You know, we want authentic brands, authentic leaders, authentic companies. We want authenticity. I love Brene Brown. It's a freaking fantasy. When was the last time you heard a politician answer a question with, I don't know? 
It, it does not exist. And the problem is, is that we haven't diagnosed the problem. The problem is that we are addicted to the mass the way that addicts are addicted to drugs. And the way you get an addict to stop using drugs isn't by yelling stop. You can yell stop until you're blue in the face. It's not until you tell them what to start instead. And for an addict, we are given a step-by-step -step process. The 12-step program gives, and in other types of programs, gives us a step-by-step -step process that doesn't just give us inspiration and say, hey, it'd be really great if you did these things. It literally is a no-fail process that if you follow it, you'll get the value proposition. We haven't provided leaders the equivalent in when it comes to being an authentic leader. And that is why I'm taking the principles that addicts use to recover and creating a system that can truly create a mask-free culture inside companies and allow leaders to live and lead mask-free. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a focus on what we want, not what we don't want is what I'm hearing in a way. That's what it reminds me of. Yeah. And the other thing that I think that when I think about your story, it's such an amazing story and the resilience, the persistence, how do, how do we begin to work with individuals as we begin to, to really focus on authenticity and uh, being genuine and so forth? that they maintain that drive. To me, that's why classifying inauthentic leadership um, and wearing a mask as an addiction is so important. Um, when I met my wife, I had 12 years clean and she asked me why I kept going to meetings. And I said, cause I would like not to relapse. <laughs> and she said, yeah. well, what you're recovered. I said, no, I'm recovering. And, and I have to stay engaged in a process. And, and so I think that when it comes to being a truly authentic leader and living, leading mask free, you, the reason that the book, so my Ted talk was called great leaders do what drug addicts do. The reason I changed the title to great leaders of like drug addicts is I realized that the reason that we're able to live, uh, to lead authentically as recovering addicts is because we have to live authentically. You can't just choose it as a leadership tactic. I love Patrick Lencioni, read all his books, got him on the bookshelf. But that doesn't mean that I'm living the way that he's telling me to live. It's a, the, I look for tactics and tricks I can use as a leader. May not tricks, that's a terrible word, but tactics to be more successful. And I think it's, it's a new way of life. It's a commitment to practicing rigorous authenticity, surrendering outcomes and doing uncomfortable work and doing that in a way where the outcome isn't the goals that you're achieving. The outcome that you are trying to prioritize is the process independent of what happens for you when you take the mask off. And that level of commitment is not taught to leaders in our current uh, environment. I can... You know, I love the I love it like a lot of people love it, right? It's a great idea. By the way, Larry, take a look. Do you think that his bookshelves are better than my bookshelves? <laughs> no, actually, I think yours are better. Uh, we can. They're styled, um, and that's what my <laughs> wife wishes that I did with mine, and, and I don't. And she's like, "Why do you even keep these things?" She's a millennial. She's like, "I don't even understand why you're keeping these physical books." I'm like, "Dude, I'm just old." And there I, is. I, I like it, right? I like that idea. I've got bookshelves all over my house. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back a step. I'm sorry, I took us out of the out of the flow there for a minute. But uh, so let's talk about it because I, I, I want to say that authenticity is one of those things that everybody kind of buys into as a concept. But you know, when your uh, aunt Effie is in front of you saying, you know, uh, where's that beautiful vase I sent you? You know, it's hard to say. Well, aunt Effie, it didn't go at all with our home, and so we've given it away or regifted it to our great uncle or something. Um, 
uh, and I know that's probably a poor example because we're talking about leadership, but it's not it's hard. Thing. Yeah, I was, I was going to say it's not hard to find a lot of examples of inauthentic leadership these days. So what's, um, when you walk in and start working with someone, and you know, I'm thinking about the 12 steps, like I, I love your idea because I think that couldn't we all use a good fourth step? You know, uh, uh, everybody would be better for having done the work that um, at least the 12 steps or a lot of recovery people have, have done. What's your first step when you bring, when you start meeting with a leader or working with a, a leadership team, where do you have them look to sort of anchor themselves? If you so the first thing I do is I have to do the same thing you have to do with an addict and I have to help them understand that they have a problem and that they are powerless over that problem. And so the way that I do that is um, I tell my story so that I can set the tone from a vulnerability perspective. And then what I do is I, I so one of the problems with authenticity is we, we, it's fuzzy, it's intangible. How do we actually apply this? And same thing with recovery. How do I stop drinking? How do I stop using? They told me, go to a meeting, get a sponsor, start working the steps. Like there were specific concrete actions I could go take, right? So the concrete actions that I do is, first of all, I educate them. Um, I tell them that there are four masks that are holding back every individual team and organization in this world, and they are costing everybody 500 hours a year. It's the biggest crime that nobody's talking about. And the four masks are saying yes when you could say no. We spend 31 hours a month um, in meetings that are unnecessary. The second mask is hiding a weakness. I spent 24 hours trying to figure out how to do a Microsoft Excel pivot table when I could ask someone in 10 minutes how to do it. Avoiding difficult conversations, not saying no to the customer or asking for what you need from the boss or performance managing somebody. And we hold back our unique perspective, which means when there are 50 brains in the room, only three are identifying blind spots and in innovation. We lose 500 hours a year just doing that. I've learned that in my research. and so. In order to, I tell them about the four masks and then I give them a mask assessment. And I tell them about the mask-free program, which is essentially um, my twist on a 12-step program, but for anyone so that they can live and lead mask-free. And it's got three stool, three legs to the stool. It's got the, the mask-free system, mask-free sponsor, and mask-free society meetings. And so the first thing they do is they have to understand before they want to sign up to work the system or work with a sponsor or go to a meeting, they got to say, I got a problem. And so they take our assessment. Um, they identify the mask that's holding them back and what their authenticity percentage is. And then that insight invites them to take the next step, which is, okay, I want to learn how to work the mask free system. And, and we've set it up so they can do it in one minute a day. Um, but then we say you kind of need a mass responsor to do it. So that gets them to the mass responsor. And then once they're doing that, they're like, crap, I wish everybody was doing this. And then we go, well, guess what? We actually convene everybody that's doing this. And then bam, now you're in a mass free society. Now they're essentially in recovery for mask addiction. That's brilliant. I think that the support structures, like anything in life, are always going to be the key. Is that your experience, Larry, in the corporate world? People just don't, you know, are you familiar with these masks that Michael's talking about? I was very fortunate in the corporate world that we were a very people-focused company. Our slogan was, we believe in people. And, and I draw a lot of what Michael is saying, which is excellent things, to some of that experience. And again, looking toward what it is we want to do 
versus what it is we don't want to do. It's the future versus the past. It's a lot of different things. I, when I was looking over um, with some of Michael's information here, and he was talking about the mass-free movement and build on three principles. And Michael, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind maybe sharing a little bit more about these three principles. Sure. Um, so I woke up September 1st, 2002 at the Betty Ford Center in Rancho Mirage, California, and that was my first day clean. And they told me that the mass had to go, um, but they didn't just tell me, hey, the mass have to go. They actually gave me a process to do that, right? So what I have done is I've taken my experience um, in corporate America as a, as a founder of a startup, um, as a leader of a nonprofit helping 2,000 entrepreneurs a year, all that kind of stuff. And I've distilled everything down into what happens at the intersection of a recovering addict applying what they learn in recovery to leadership. And I distilled it down to these three principles. And so the first principle is practice rigorous authenticity. And I think that we have a lot of talk around authenticity. Everybody talks about that one time they kept it real, right? Um, but rigorous authenticity means you're committed to being authentic no matter the cost in every situation, no matter how small and how large. And I think that's different. I think it's hard when the customer's in the room, when the boss is in the room, when the deal's on the line and all those sorts of things. And so in order to practice rigorous authenticity that you have to get concrete, you have to identify the specific mask that's holding you back or else you can't apply anything specific to remove it. And that's why we distill everything down to those four masks. Unfortunately, that knowledge is what most people peddle. Um, it's inspiration. It's the what and the why, but what we really need is how the F do you actually take this mask off? And so what we do is this next thing we do is we go right at the heart of the fear that's keeping it on our face and we surrender the outcome. We identify the outcome that we want to achieve or that we're scared will happen. And we teach people the opposite of what leaders are taught and what leaders are taught. You're accountable to the outcome. You're responsible for the outcome, but we've all seen people waste so much time and energy focusing on things they can't control at the expense of the things that they can, the salesperson complaining about their quota versus the salesperson making sales calls. And so in order to surrender the outcome, we have to identify the outcome that we're scared of, and then identify everything that we can't control, including that outcome, list it out, exit out, and then list everything that we can control, circle everything we can control. And now we've shifted our focus and our energy from, it's this, I feel stupid when I give people like my can't control, can control tool, because it's literally just a piece of paper with can't control and can control and a line down the middle, but it's so powerful when people do it. And, and what I tell people is when you look in the can control and you spend all your energy in the can control, that is where you will identify the uncomfortable work that you are not doing. And I think when I talk about uncomfortable work, that's the third principle. People think that they know what that is. And I say, no, we the professionals were taught hard work and smart work. That's physical and intellectual. We are not taught uncomfortable work. That is emotional. It's a sensation in our body that leads us to do really stupid things as opposed to doing the things that we should do. It's the reason that someone spends eight hours doing hard work instead of doing five minutes doing uncomfortable work. And when you reclaim, when you get really clear on the mass that's holding you back in principle one, practice rigorous authenticity, when you reclaim all the energy by not focusing on the outcome and surrender and surrendering the outcome, uncomfortable work goes from a fantasy to reality and you're actually able to execute it. And that's the thing that I think, you know, uh, eating healthy, working out, you know, managing your money, right? We all know that things are simple, but they're really hard to do because they require repetitive action. But if you can repeat these principles over and over and over again and apply them to the specific masks that are holding you back, 
you will do, you will execute the most uncomfortable work, which is being your true authentic self. And I think that you'll find that you'll be uncapping or unleashing your potential. So that's, that's like my really succinct version. If you want the long version, we'll have to book a longer session. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, and Christopher, I might just want to follow up a little thing. I want to say that um, you talk about can and can't control. And you said something I really believe in, and that is the simplicity. Oftentimes, again, I've always said we have a tendency, the nature of the beast as human beings is we complicate things far more than we need to. I think the more we can break it down into simple steps, the easier it is for somebody. The more we focus on self-talk. One of the things that when people talk about they don't want to do things because they're hard to do, then they're building an excuse already to not do it. Yeah. And I think when people become more cognizant of their own self-talk and what it is they're teaching themselves, and that's why I love the fact that you share this strategy, that you're telling them what it is they can be doing. And if they begin to look at it that way and repeat that, the chance of success is greatly heightened. So I, I really I really like what you're saying. Thank you. I appreciate that. It would suck if sure. you didn't. <laughs> 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 Although the nice thing about authenticity is Larry would tell you if he did. I know. Well, actually, you know, I, actually, I, I retract that. I would value that feedback, actually. I was just trying to be funny. Yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, I get, I get both things are true. Um, Michael, I want to make sure people know how to get a hold of you and find out more. The website I have is Michael Brody, that's B-R-O-D-Y, wait, spelled W-A-I-T-E, that's M-I-C-H-A-E-L, B-R-O-D-Y. W-A-I-T-E.com. Is that the best one? Yep, that's the best one. And then also for your listeners, if they want um, free access to our mask free program, they can text uh, the words mask free together um, and just text mask free uh, to the number 33777, 33777. And that will make it even easier because I have a jacked up last name and people are going to have challenges typing it in. So we made it try to try to circumvent the hyphenated last name and get to the heart of the, the cell phone. You really are from Southern California. I bet they love you in Nashville. <laughs> they do. The you know, what? And my wife, especially, which I'm very grateful for. Um, I, uh, once again, it's mask free altogether as one word, even though it's two, two, three, three, seven, seven, seven. That's easy to remember. Yep. Two threes and three sevens. No, no, don't do that. Three, three, seven, seven, seven. I um, made that I'm mistake. That. Someone That's... put in the show notes, they put the two ahead of the threes. I was like, oh, no, can't say that. Don't do that. No. <laughs> um, uh, and that's very generous of you. A mask free assessment. Now, I'm not probably going to like the outcome of mine, but I'm eager to do <laughs> Um Let's talk about, uh, I appreciate the value you're imparting in sort of broad brushstrokes, but I want to get back to you as a human. So you're married. Are you a father? Do you have kids? Yes. I have a daughter that's 16 months old and a son that's on the way. Oh, man. Congratulations. Remember Congratulations. that, Larry? Beautiful, beautiful time. Enjoy every second of it. Don't work another minute until they're 20. Um, well, maybe. Uh, but let's talk about, let's talk about that, because I imagine that the, some of the biggest challenges for you, even still, have got to be in your personal life. Where, where do you feel, still feel the rub or the growth, growing edge in terms of your own authenticity? Because now you're Mr. Mass Free, yeah, right? You've got to be authentic, even at home, even when you don't want to. So that's a, that's a really great question. So um, when we had my daughter, uh, 
my firstborn, um, my friends, you know, all warned me that I wouldn't sleep. And that's all they warned me about. And three months in, I remember going to one of my 12 step meetings and on the way I felt like a resentful tourist in my own home. And I was questioning whether I was fit to be a father. And I felt on the outside, my, my wife had a relationship with my daughter. I resented having to put her to sleep. Um, I didn't have a connection to her. And then the thing that everybody warned me about sleep, I was actually sleeping. She wanted me to get my sleep. And so what would happen is people would ask me, how is it going? And I'd feel so guilty for being rested and hating my life. And so I remember sharing with, with my, my fellow recovering people that are all committed to living mask free. And, and I remember like out of outside of the meeting, all these guys came up to me and they're like, Hey, I went through the exact same thing. I didn't feel a connection to my child. And then when she started smiling or interacting, and once I started getting the hang of it, it started getting better. And I was like, where the F was that advice when you told me I'm not going to sleep? Because <laughs> yeah. I think that's a little bit like, that's a very key data point. And the truth was that they were scared to share that they felt like a resentful, disconnected tourist. And, and so that what that started for me, I had been wearing a mask with my wife. I had not shared my weakness with her because the last thing I wanted to tell a person who's essentially been reduced down to a milk vending machine. Um, the last thing who feels like a zombie who, who doesn't have the capacity to care for herself basically is that I'm struggling with this stuff while I'm fully right. rested. Like, let me like, tell you about my feelings, honey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like no way. And, and so someone was like, okay, you just got to surrender the outcome and, and you, you got to just tell her. And then when I told her, I had a very surprising response and she was like, I have felt disconnected from you and I understand, and I want you to share this stuff with me. And so that, that, that really, um, coming up on having my, my next child, I I know it's going to be more uncomfortable work for me to walk through, but it's gonna be easier now that I've been through it. But as you touched on being the, the founder of the mask free movement, um, I catch myself and my wife catches myself, catches me trying to quote unquote, be Michael Brody weight instead of being Michael Brody weight. When I'm doing, when we're doing filming of like the messages that I want to put into our social media content that we're putting out there, there are times where we'll stop filming and she'll be like, that wasn't you. I'm like, those are all my ideas. That's exactly what I believe. And she's like, yeah, but it sounds like you're performing. And I, and so for me, the biggest opportunity, what we're doing is building a brand and the goal is to build the first authentic personal brand in the history of personal brands. And, and for the longest time I had to fight my team, I would want to share my vulnerabilities and weaknesses and challenges working my own system with, with the people that are doing it. And they were like, you can't do that. I'm like, that's why we need to do that. Tony Robbins never gets on stage in front of 5,000 people and tells you the shit he's working on, right. you know, and, and yet that's the what greatest like opportunity to grow, to grow up with a really big head. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. But so for me, I think the biggest thing is just applying these principles to the new challenges of being a parent. Um, and obviously there's all kinds of stuff with COVID, but I'm not even going to get into that. Um, and then for me, remaining uh, vulnerable and mask-free and, and not clinging to whatever I think the image is of the founder of the mask-free movement should, should be. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed and uh, terrified at the same time because that's such a rigorous line to hold but I guess you're used to it with your experience as you know in 
being recovering for all these years. How many years is it now or how many? Uh, it's been 17. I'll have 18 years, September 1st. Congratulations, man. And thank you so Thanks. much for the work that you're doing. The, my you. biggest takeaway from today is something that I heard from John Whitmore when he was alive, the late John Whitmore, who was a pioneer in our industry of coaching, who said the number one thing for us to all follow focus on is self responsibility, which is sort of what Larry has talked about today in terms of only focus on what you can uh, address over here, never talk about your spouse or the other person. And what I'm hearing from you also, that we've got to do our own work first and address the things we can impact and not the part we cannot impact. I want to thank you both, but I also want to give you the last uh, minutes of our time together. Uh, so if you don't mind, I'll ask Larry to go first and then we'll, we'll uh, end mask free with you. Um, Larry, if you had one um, sort of parting thought or parting shot for our thousands of coaching, coaching listeners today, what would you have us take away or think about today? I think one is that, you know, through life, we can expect it to be, uh, to have troubles and different aspects of our lives will always be challenged. And the one thing to keep in mind is that we're never there and it's okay to fall short or to be wrong or something. And what you want to do is not let that define you, but simply say, okay, I fell short here. Here's what I'm going to do next time. And you begin to work toward that. Uh, it is always a focus on what we focus on expands. Focus on the good. Focus on the best. We're all going to slip up. We're going to do it from time to time. And that's okay. Expect it and move on. Openly talk about it. Share. I love what Michael was talking about with his wife. Um, that, you know, she confronted you there and said, it's, that's not you. Sounds like a performer. You know, and, and we have a tendency to do that. We need to be who we are, and, and that's okay. Who we are and continue to move forward. So I, I enjoyed, Michael. I enjoyed the conversation today. And, um, Thank you. And appreciate your sharing. You too. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's Larry Williamson. The book is Successful Relationships, Sharing Simple Behaviors That Bring Results. Larry Williamson. You can find him on the web at www.anchoredvalues. That's A-N-C-H-O-R-E-D, values, V-A-L-U-E-S, dot com. Thank you for being with us, Larry, and joining us from your undisclosed location in North Carolina. <laughs> and from his palatial mansion in uh, Nashville, Michael, <laughs> what would you have thousand coaches take with us today or think about as your parting thought or parting shot today other than you chris have like the best voice in the history of podcasts i, I like dude you're built for this um <laughs> you can come back anytime you just <laughs> uh yeah i want to compare bookshelves next time i show you some more um so i would say i would say this i'd say when you are a coach I think that it's really easy and I think Larry really was touching on this to think that you have to have all your stuff together and an imposter syndrome can be something that's really tough. I think the best leaders in this world are sponsors. And the reason that sponsors are so much better than everybody else is because they have permission to show you how they lead themselves through the good and the bad equally. They give you full benefit of their experience and then you get to own your your experience as a result sponsors lead themselves show people the entire process all the good and the bad and then that allows other people to be able to more effectively lead themselves and i think too often when we are in a coaching position 
we feel the need to start minimizing our shortcomings, our failures, our weaknesses, but those are where all of our strengths are born from. So why the heck can't we share those with our people? Such a powerful and useful message. I thank you. That's Michael Brody Wait. You can type all that in and put a .com after it and find him. Or <laughs> simply text mask free for the free mask free assessment. Mask free to 33777. That's 33777. Michael Brody Wait, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for your great work in the world. Also check him out on YouTube uh, and get that TEDx uh, Nashville talk that's got over a million and a half lit, uh, viewers so far. I thank you both gentlemen for being with us. Any, any last words, anything else for you? Or are you ready to go on with your days? Just grateful for the opportunity to talk with you, uh, fine gentlemen. Likewise. Thank you very, very much, both of you. Have a wonderful day. That's it, uh, my dear listener, for another edition of The Coaching Show. 17 years we've been doing this, each and every week bringing you people out on the cutting edge of coaching, people you need to know about, or people who are just dang interesting right here on Accomplishment Media or wherever fine podcasts are available. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>